Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duckstream. I am your host, Alexis Downey. I hope you had a great weekend from wherever you are listening from. I felt like it went pretty quickly, and that's probably because we had Ducks games on both Friday and Sunday night. And it's kind of hard to believe that we only have two more home games on this 10-game homestand. It's felt like it went pretty fast, and I guess that's probably because the holidays usually go pretty fast as well. Those two games remaining are against the Edmonton Oilers and the New Jersey Devils this week, Wednesday and Friday. I think overall, though, it's been great to have the guys spend the time at home through these last couple weeks and stay stationary for this amount of time, getting to cook in their own home, sleep in their own beds. All of that certainly helps, especially with the grind of the season. But when you look ahead to this week, it's going to be a busy one. The Ducks Day at Disney is happening on Thursday. I will be there along with the rest of my Duckstream crew. We're going to have an awesome episode for you guys following up from that day with interviews with the guys, talking through all of the exciting things that are happening. And this is going to be my first time at Disneyland in California, so I'm pretty excited about that. I've been to Disney World in Florida, but have not been to Disneyland out here since I've been here. So really excited for that and hoping that we don't get any rain because it's been pretty rainy here in California as of late. Anyways, now let's look at some of the games that have been played by the Ducks recently. The last few games finding success on the ice was the story between Wednesday and Friday last week, beating the Dallas Stars 2-0 and then a win in overtime on Friday against the rival San Jose Sharks. Really exciting to have those back-to-back wins. But Sunday night was a little bit of a different story. The Boston Bruins coming in and taking over 7-1 to one win. Not the best effort from the Ducks, particularly in the third period. But we'll get to all of that right now in AD's Takeaways. And I want to start with the Sharks game on Friday, the 5-4 to four overtime win. Coming into this game, we knew that it would likely be high scoring because that had been the case in the three prior games that we played against the Sharks this season. It was a huge game for Mason McTavish, who had four points on the night, two goals and two assists. His first multi-goal performance in the NHL really excited for him afterwards. He now has 26 points on the season, and he's second in the rookie scoring behind Maddie Beneers, who has 30 points right now with the Seattle Kraken. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I've just been continually impressed by McTavish. He's emerged in this last stretch of games as a solid player for the Ducks. I mean, he's so young, and it makes me very excited for what we're going to see from him once he does even become more comfortable than he is right now. But being able to get all of these reps under his belt and this experience is just going to benefit him in the future. He already looks extremely comfortable on the ice if you've been watching him as of late. But I think it's a really good sign, like I said, for what we're going to see from him. Now, I mentioned that he had two goals on the night, but it was interesting. The second goal coming in the third period, the Sharks actually challenged this one for offsides and When we watched the replay, I mean, I thought it was offsides. Henrique was not on the blue line. And this is a rule in the NHL that it's just confusing sometimes. I mean, 
a lot of people would argue that it needs to go. Uh, it, it's not my favorite rule particularly, but I think in this case overall, I wish we would have got maybe a fuller explanation in game because I wasn't sure how it was ruled that they were onside until afterwards. I did hear that they decided that Cam Fowler did not have possession when he was crossing over the blue line. But once he did, he was already over the blue line. And at that point, Henrique was on sides at the moment. So the play stood and the goal stood and it was great for the ducks because that was the game time goal to send it to overtime. And you have to say, well, the referees have their job for a reason. They know what they're talking about. They know the rules. And in this case, it worked out in Anaheim's favor. And going into overtime, John Klingberg was the one to get it done just a little over a minute in a great team win for Anaheim. And I feel like it kept the momentum from their team game that they played on Wednesday against the Dallas Stars. That was one of their best games that they played all season long. A shutout for John Gibson, his first of the season and overall just a really exciting night for the team. So getting the win on Friday and keeping that going was certainly a great thing. And head coach Dallas Aikens shared his thoughts on where Mason McTavish was at after the game with us, emphasizing how much he's been investing in his career and the trust that he has in him. Well, he's out there because he's earned trust. And, and that's just not true. Everybody thinks, well, you got the trust of the coach. He has the not only the, the trust of me, he's got the trust of our coaching staff, and he has the, the trust of his teammates. And that that's on him. Like that, he he's earned that a, a, along the way. So uh, I, I've got uh, no reservation at all uh, on putting him out uh, when, when the other team has the goalie pulled. I've got no problem putting him out at the uh, uh, in crucial moments in overtime or late in the game. I have no problem putting him out there to, to uh, take a face off to to kill a penalty. So uh, um, you know he he's coming along nicely. And now let's take a look at Sunday's game against the Boston Bruins. This one was a tough seven to one win for Boston and certainly a bit of a different game. The Bruins had a back-to-back -back playing in San Jose on Saturday night, getting a win and then coming to Anaheim and getting another big win. I mean, going into this game, the Bruins are leading the NHL right now in points, and it's really not even close. When I watched them on Sunday, I was thoroughly impressed. I mean, this team is very good. They're really hard to contain. Their speed is always on display and just their awareness on the ice is incredible. You can see the chemistry that they have because a lot of those guys have played together for so long and they just look like a perfect unit sometimes. Hence why Dallas Aiken said that they needed to play a near perfect game going into the game if they wanted to stand a chance against Boston. But it kind of brings me back a little bit too, because early in the season was the first meeting the Ducks had against Boston. And that one was at TD Garden. And it was one of the better games that the Ducks have played, even to this date through the season, losing in the shootout. So obviously we know that they can keep pace with them, but that just wasn't the case on Sunday night. The first period was pretty solid. They cut the lead in half thanks to Trevor Zegris getting a goal. But it was a little bit chippy after that. And I thought that might end up being what the game looked like. I mean, you always see Brad Marchand chirping on the ice. And in this case, he was a little bit with Zegris. But that didn't end up being the case for this game. It was just all Boston. Now, like I said, the score at the end of the first period was 2-1. to one, But after two periods of play, the team was down 4-1. to one, 
And everything just really unraveled in that third period. David Pasternak had a hat trick in this one for Boston. And you also have to credit Boston's goaltending. They have just been outstanding. The tandem of Jeremy Swayman, who was in the net on Sunday for them. And then Linus Olmark, who wasn't playing, but would typically be the starter for the Bruins. He has a 22-1-1 record this season. He's just playing absolutely out of his mind. And that's helping Boston win a lot of these games that we're seeing from them. Now, after the game, Dallas did talk with us some more in the post game on what it was like to play a team like Boston and how a number of their mistakes really made the difference in that game. Yeah, it's it, it's tough. Like it's you, you can you know we we can uh, aspire to play a perfect game, but when you're playing an elite team, uh, they're going to put full pressure on you the 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 whole time. And so, like I said, uh, like through two periods, like overall, except for the the handful of mistakes, I I was okay with our game. I wasn't okay with the big mistakes we made, but the the majority of the, uh, the the periods, like we were skating with them, we had our chances, it, it, it was all right. And in the third, we just unscrewed our brains. It, it, we, we tried to get cute, uh, we let our foot off the pedal, and and I, I think that shows, uh, again, too, elite teams don't take their foot off the pedal. Just because they were up 4-1 didn't mean they were just going to uh, mail it into the third. They're going to keep coming. Now through the eight games of the homestand, the Anaheim Ducks are three, four and one with points in four of the games wins against the Vegas Golden Knights, Dallas Stars and San Jose Sharks. I would say that those are some pretty quality wins. If you look at the caliber of the teams, especially Vegas in Dallas in that one. Now I have a couple more notes that I want to hit on from last week on the positive end for the organization. A big congratulations to Canada on winning the World Juniors and a special congrats to our three prospects, Olin Zellweger, Nathan Gaucher, and Tyson Hines for earning gold medals. Let's take a look at the stats for each of them through the tournament. Zellweger had six points with six assists total in the tournament. Gaucher had one goal and three assists totaling for four points. And Hines had two goals and a plus nine on the ice. So great to see each of them having some success through the tournament. And certainly congrats again on winning the gold. Also on the prospect end, some pretty crazy news happened on Sunday with Olin Zellweger. Once he returned back to his juniors team, a trade happened in the WHL, sending Zellweger and his teammate Ryan Hoffer from the Everett Silvertips to the Kamloops Blazers. Now, the crazy part of this, they were sent to the Blazers in exchange for four players and 10 picks that were sent to Everett. I'm not sure if I've ever heard of a trade this big. 14 players involved on one end of the trade just for two guys. It speaks to the quality players that Zellweger and his teammate are. And next, I want to share a congratulations to our very own Anaheim Ducks, Troy Terry, who was named an NHL All-Star for the second straight year. And hats off to our team here at the Ducks as they shared it in a pretty cool way, having Troy Aikman make the announcement to Troy in a video. If you haven't seen it yet, go check it out on our social media at Anaheim Ducks on Twitter or on Instagram. 
And the All-Star fan voting is open now, so make sure to head on over and vote. Trevor Zegris and Cam Fowler are a part of that. You have to have an NHL.com login, but you can easily make one if you don't have one already. And it's time to go coast to coast now to hear some of the best goal calls from around the NHL over the weekend, beginning with our very own Anaheim Ducks and San Jose Sharks game on Friday. Steve Carroll calling the game winner in overtime with John Klingberg finding the back of the net 108 into overtime. Listen to the call now. Terry, one hand on the stick, breaks to center with McTavish moving in closer to the net. McTavish lost it. Tomas Hurdle trying to move around. Klingberg, who just came on the ice, knocked away McTavish in front of the net. Anaheim centers and scores! John Klingberg! John Klingberg has won the game as Terry and McTavish make the plays, and it's 5 4 the final. Anaheim over San Jose. The goal coming at 108 of overtime. And how was that for an NHL game? Next up, the Pittsburgh Penguins and Arizona Coyotes faced off on Sunday. And the Penguins have been struggling as of late, going 3-5-2 in their last 10 games, including falling in the Winter Classic at Fenway Park against the Bruins. But they have started to get back on track with a big 4-1 win on Sunday at Mullet Arena against the Coyotes. Jason Zucker had a beautiful backhand to extend their lead in the third period. A great play from Evgeny Malkin in the zone, finding Zucker on the pass. Josh gets off, has the call of the goal. Curls it into the Penguin zone, right onto the tape of Joseph, ahead for Malkin, one touch to Zucker. Over the line, left wing for Malkin, dangles to the slot, back down low, Zucker, backhand try, scores! Oh, baby, Jason Zucker going shelfie! And the Penguins go up 3-1 on a beauty from Zucker. Next up, also on Sunday, the Chicago Blackhawks and Calgary Flames playing in Chicago. The Hawks got out to an early lead, but it was cut down when Calgary made their comeback in the second period. And this game took overtime to find a winner, but it was a big win for Chicago, who currently sit with just 24 points on the season at the bottom of the NHL standings. But the one takeaway from this game, it was a big moment early when Lucas Reichel netted the first goal of the game for the Hawks. And his first goal in the NHL, it was a beautiful one going in between his legs, putting it past Jacob Markstrom in the net. Joe Brand has the call from the United Center. Padre picks up the loose puck in the near half wall, lost it to Lucas Reichel above that near circle, kicks it on out to Seth Jones from the left point. He throws one on that loose puck in front, and they knock it in. And it's Lucas Reichel with his first NHL goal right on the doorstep. Hawks lead 1-0 right out of the gate. And last up in Coast to Coast, we're going to go back to Saturday with the Colorado Avalanche and Edmonton Oilers game. Colorado rallied after a two-goal deficit to beat the Oilers in overtime. The Oilers had two power play goals to get out early in this game. But like I mentioned, the Avs finding their way back in it. And who else to score their winner? Well, Kale McCarr. Two minutes and nine seconds into extra time, using his speed from his own end, taking it right through Edmonton. This was a 
classic McCarr goal in my eyes. And Colorado is currently fourth in the Central Division with 43 points. Listen to the call from Connor McGahee now. McKinnon, double team, looking for help. Kale McCarr arrives. McCarr with it. Pressure coming from Hyman. Now McCarr, two on one developing. McCarr holding, he shoots, he scores! Oh, Kale, Kale! Like Lazarus, the avalanche have come back from the dead. And you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here because this party is over. McKinnon, Brad Hunt, and Kale McCarr find the range for the Avalanche. And it's a comeback that Colorado needed more than anything else. They've won three straight in this building. And the losing streak stops at five. Final score in overtime in Edmonton. Colorado three and the Oilers two. Someone close to home joins us today on Light the Lamp. Our very own Bally Sports SoCal analyst, Guy A. Bear. I was so excited to have him in the studio and talk through his days as a mighty duck and plenty more. Listen in now. Joining Light the Lamp now is Guy A. Bear, a face and voice of the Ducks that uh, anyone listening will definitely know. Uh, Guy, welcome to Light the Lamp. Finally having you on. Yeah, I've been waiting by my phone, waiting it for the <laughs> ring. Does, does the phone still ring? I don't even know anymore, but no, it's uh, it's great to be here. Uh, you've done a great job, so I'm just oh, happy to be you. somewhere in the line of uh, your guests. <laughs> well, I want to talk a little bit about your upbringing too. And now I remember the first time you told me about Troy, New York, I said, oh my gosh, I have family there too. I know exactly where that is. So let's talk a little bit about Troy, New York. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it's my birthplace, grew up there and started playing hockey at a very young age. I mean, like a lot of kids, I had an older brother and my dad had played a little bit of college hockey. So kind of hockey was whether I wanted to play it, I was going to have to play it at some point. <laughs> and, uh, but it was just a great town to grow up in. Uh, we made a rink in the backyard. I played mm. in the garage, in the driveway, in the basement. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, my brother always wants to take credit for my success as any older brother would do. Right. <laughs> He's like, I shot pucks on you constantly since you were, you know, four years old and all the way through our growing up years. And, um, you know, but people don't realize that like Troy, New York is actually, a bit of a hockey hotbed. Mm -hmm. uh, they have a, a college right down the street from where I grew up called Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. And they've had a great hockey program for many years. And when I was growing up, that was what I did. We would, it was a family. We'd go watch those games and get to cheer on the, uh, they were called the engineers. We had to see the RPI engineers <laughs> play. And, you know, it was great because as a, you know, aspiring young hockey player and goalie, I was able to go and watch these guys practice. I got to watch the games and of course you got to see the other colleges coming into town. So, um, it was, it was a great way to grow up. And, uh, there's a lot of people I probably need to thank over the course of the years that helped me to get to where I eventually got to. And, uh, hopefully they know who they are. <laughs> are they still in Troy, New York? Uh, my brother's, Family? yeah, my, my, my dad's still in the same house as uh, we grew up in. So it's always kind of a kick, you know, Aww. anytime you, you go back to your, your, you know, house when you grew up and you think about like, that's the driveway that, you know, we played hockey in for so many years and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kids on the street and the families, a lot of them are still, still there. And my brother moved a little bit further North by like 45 minutes, but he's still local as well. So when you were younger, did you know immediately that you wanted to be a hockey player? Was that 
was that the goal as a kid? Because I feel like growing up, you have this vision of what you want your life to look like. And for a lot of people in athletics, it doesn't necessarily work out. But for you, it seems like it has. <laughs> well, it did. And you know, I think any kid and I, you know, when I have a chance to talk to kids or, um, you know, parents, a lot of times it's like, you know, how do you balance like letting your kid dream and mm -hmm. have a dream of, you know, something that is unattainable for most. And uh, my parents were so supportive. They're like, whatever you want to do in life, you know, you give it 100 percent. If you fail, you gave it a shot and you can move on and mm. kind of kept that in my head uh, my whole life. And but when I was really young, like three or so, I mean, I was already in the basement playing hockey, my brother shooting on me. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my dad lied about my age and got me into youth hockey at four instead of five because my brother was already <laughs> playing. And it was one of those kind of cool things where uh, I just gravitated toward the position of goalie. I mean, I mm. love the equipment. You know, the goalie masks were so intriguing. And mm -hmm. uh, and the best, best thing about it was is that, like, the goalies never left the ice. So I kind of thought, oh. I'm like, if I'm a goalie, I don't ever have to not play. <laughs> so it was pretty cool to think that, like, hey, if you become a goaltender, you play the whole night long. Yeah. And you never have to go and be substituted. Uh, so that was a real hook. But, yeah, I, I mean, I just loved stopping pucks. And, mm -hmm. and it started from a real young age. You know, that's a really interesting point, never leaving the ice. I mean, you you see the whole game and you get to see it from a different perspective too. Um, and I know that we talked, you mentioned a little bit about the goalie gear and that's changed a lot over the years. Well, the goalie gear has, uh, I'm <laughs> old enough to have seen it uh, change several times. Uh, I hate to say that, but uh, you know, the original goalie pads that I wore were just brown leather pads stuffed with deer hair. And mm. I tell people that all the time and they don't believe you, but it is, hmm. if you're watching, yeah, Google it because <laughs> it is true. Uh, and the pads would get extremely wet and they would absorb the water to get really heavy. So by oh. the time, like a, you know, later in the day or the game or the second or third period, depending on what age group you were, mm -hmm. uh, but they got wet and they got heavy and it was difficult. It was difficult to move around in those old gear. Um, the techn technological advances have been Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I, I benefited from that in my career because all of a sudden it went to lighter weight material, stuff that didn't get wet, stuff that dried very quickly. Uh, and, and just really the weight of the pads uh, was reduced significantly. So that was uh, maybe kept me in the league a couple extra years. <laughs> well, having a college team in your town growing up was did you want to go and play college hockey? Because I know it's really interesting the journey to get to the NHL level or professional level, not everyone goes through college hockey, but I, I worked for Michigan state's hockey program. I love college hockey and you went on to play. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, so growing up back East, there were two avenues to go. You could either go to prep school, which was uh, mm -hmm. a pretty viable option uh, on the East coast and, or you would go and play major junior and you could go into the Quebec league or Ontario league would, would have been my two options. And growing up in kind of a small town, but getting recruited eventually even by the local college RPI, it was just kind of a cool thing where I, I knew I had some options and I was kind of like a, a homebody. I didn't really want to leave. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed where I went to high school and I enjoyed playing for that local team and kind of the pride that you had. You got to wear your jersey on game days at mm -hmm. the school. And so there's a lot of neat things about that. Uh, it, and it's a long road. It's a long right. road. I didn't. Uh, at times I, I regretted not going to either junior or to, to go to prep school just because I would have played against better competition, hopefully get noticed a little bit more. Uh, if I went to prep school, then maybe more colleges would have recruited me than they did. But at the end of the day, I thought I, I, I stayed in my regular high school 
and uh, all guys Catholic military school, by the way. Oh, so, what'd uh, you learn from that? <laughs> I, I learned not to uh, talk back. I learned uh, <laughs> not to mess around because it was fairly strict. Uh, but I, I learned a lot of great things. It was mm -hmm. uh, I enjoyed being in that kind of environment and uh, no distractions with girls in school, which is great. So <laughs> it's <could>, good. <laughs> could focus on my my studies and my athletics. Uh, but really, for college, it was uh, an opportunity to be able to just take the next step. Um, I got recruited by a lot of Division One schools. Uh, and then a lot of division, uh, at the time there were division two schools. Now they're just division one or division three. And I ended up just picking the school that I loved and I wanted to go and have a great four years at, uh, called Hamilton college, which is in central New York, a uh, town called Clinton. And, uh, it was just a great place to go. 1800 students. And I knew I could mm. be hopefully a big fish in a small pond. And it worked out. <laughs> and, and it worked out. I, you know, it's amazing. Like the twists of fate that happen, um, one of my teammates that came in as a freshman as well, I played against him from growing up at probably age five all the way through. And, and we were both those guys that were division one prospects and just decided to go play and, and say, hey, I'm going to play for four years and have a great time and get a great, great education. And so this guy, Harry McCabe, after our freshman year, uh, got me invited to uh, play in a tournament called the Chowder Cup, which was held in Boston. Of course. <laughs> and each team, which is pretty cool. So each team was... Uh, uh, supported by an NHL team. So the New York mm. Rangers supported the team that I ended up playing with. And, and Mike Richter, who was a great friend of mine who played for the New York Rangers, uh, was injured in the summertime and couldn't play in this tournament. So they said, does anybody know a good goalie? And mm. my buddy Harry says, well, my goalie's pretty good. <laughs> so, I mean, twist of fate, I get to go and I play and I get MVP of the tournament and best goalie of the tournament. Mm. And a lot of NHL scouts were like, who is this person? Like, where's this guy from? Uh -huh. And so when they said Hamilton, they assumed, you know, Hamilton of the OHL uh -huh. and had to correct them and say, nope, just tiny Hamilton College in Clinton, New York. Hmm. Well, now then moving on to your NHL career, you began it in St. Louis, but then you found yourself here in Anaheim. I mean, going back to the expansion draft in the very beginning, that first season for you, what was that like? I mean, I'm sure it was a little bit overwhelming at times too, I can imagine. Well, you know, when I look back at it, it was, uh, you know, I was just getting my feet wet, establishing mm -hmm. myself as, as a, a real bonafide backup goaltender in St. Louis. Uh, Curtis Joseph was my, my goaltending tandem partner. And, you know, he was clearly the number one, but I was playing better and I was pushing him for more time. So I was trying to see somewhere down the line, you know, what are my opportunities going to be to maybe get a chance to be a number one goalie somewhere? And ironically, you know, the, the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim and mm -hmm. the Florida Panthers were coming into existence. And uh, it said, well, maybe there's a chance that one of these teams might want to take a flyer on me. And, and if I can get exposed in the expansion draft, maybe I could be taken. Uh, as it happened, you know, I was available and uh, the Mighty Ducks selected me with their first pick, which is still uh, a really cool claim to fame. Yeah. Being the first player I ever picked for a franchise. Uh, but when we got out here, I mean, there was a lot of competition in goal. Ron mm -hmm. Tugnut was one of my uh, goalie partners early on. A guy, Mikhail Stelenkov, was a draft pick that first season by the Ducks, and he was in the mix. And uh, there was a whole host of guys that we all knew this was a, a great opportunity, whether you were young and trying to kind of grab the reins as a starting goalie or mm -hmm. you were already a veteran guy who was going to try to hold on and, and kind of rekindle your career. Uh, so that was good for me because the competition I, I think I thrived on and because you were pushed every day to try to kind of make an impact on the, the coaches and the, the general manager. 
but just being part of the franchise early on was amazing. Being owned by Disney opened up so many doors for, I think, the entire NHL. I mean, certainly us here in, in Orange County. And I, I tell people all the time, I remember shortly before our first ever game, um, we were on floats going through a parade in Main Street <laughs> in Disneyland. And, you know, we got our Ducks jerseys on, waving at everybody. And people kept coming up to us and they're like, God, you guys are awfully old to have been in the movie. <laughs> And they didn't realize that there was actually a real NHL a team, team in town. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I also heard that the very first team photo was on a pirate ship. Is that correct? Yeah, there is. Uh, <laughs> I still somewhere? have a copy. Okay. I've got a copy of it. It's uh, probably in storage somewhere. But it, it was, uh, it was again, one of these really cool things. Uh, you know, we got to do things at Disneyland that other people never get to do. We get to go through all the secret tunnels and everything to go from one part of the park to the mm. other. Uh, if we were doing some kind of uh, signature event over there uh, at, at the park. But yes, we had practice one day. We bust over to Disneyland. We went to the Pirates of the Caribbean ship. <laughs> And we got a team picture. And so we dressed up all as pirates, oh. from Pirates of the Caribbean, <laughs> coaches included. And it's uh, it's a phenomenal poster. And we had guys climbing up on the, the mast. And, uh, it, and and we looked pretty rugged. I think most of us were tired. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we're unshaven, which is very un-Disney-like. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a whole other story about we didn't have to follow the same protocol as most Disney employees that mm -hmm. we were kind of a little different so we could have longer hair and, and grow a beard if we wanted to. But the pirate ship thing is just a classic. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely need to see this picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can make that happen. Okay, good, <laughs> good. Uh, so when you saw the logo for the first time and the jerseys, what were your initial thoughts? Well, we didn't really think that it would follow in the footsteps of the movie. Okay. We thought that it would be something that would be revealed like right at the last minute that, hey, everybody thinks it's going to be this, mm -hmm. but surprised it's that. <laughs> and uh, so we, I mean, I used to joke when I was in St. Louis with Curtis Joseph saying, you know, hey, if I get taken by the Mighty Ducks and I go to Anaheim, you know, I joked, I'm like, paint a big old, you know, duck on my mask and it'll probably be big yellow. And, uh, <laughs> and we kind of joked about that. But when we finally saw that it was going to be the original uh, logo of the team, uh, I mean, I think we embraced it, and mm -hmm. then it caught on so quickly. I mean, it became the fastest-selling uh, jersey, I think, of, of all time. And I think that first year, it just broke records for sales. And we would go to different arenas. You know, you go to Maple Leaf Gardens or Boston Garden or wherever, and fans are wearing the jersey there. And mm -hmm. maybe not so much even supporting us, but it was, so, it was such a cool logo. And at the end of the day, you know, that first year, we had some toughness in our lineup. Mm -hmm. So even if we were getting kind of chirped at by the other guys <laughs> on the other team, uh, we certainly had toughness in the lineup that said, well, we might look a little goofy, mm -hmm. um, but we got enough heavyweights to, uh, to make sure we're not pushed around. Do you like that the team still incorporates the logo into the jerseys? I, I do. I, I secretly hope that they go back to them full time. <laughs> I mean, I think... Uh, you know, it's so unique, and I think mm -hmm. that's, that's the great thing about sports is that sometimes you deviate from an original design. And, you know, of course, the, the change in ownership was uh, a, a big result of, mm -hmm. of making it just the Anaheim Ducks. And, you know, the Samuels are able to put their own stamp on the, on the organization and franchise. And so I think people have certainly embraced the new color scheme and the new logo over the years. But, um, you know, for the third jersey, I think it's always great that they incorporate that old design back. And mm -hmm. Uh, but like I said, I, I, I wouldn't mind if it was <laughs> kind of back in the uh, forefront somewhere down the road. Now, I know you also had an iconic goalie mask 
with the logo on it in the very beginning for you. Um, do you still have that goalie mask or where is that at? I do. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's in a vault. Oh, okay. I'm sure <laughs> no, it's very I, valuable now. No, I don't know if it has any value to any, anybody else except for me, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it was great. And it was just one of those things where I know guys change their designs quite mm -hmm. often nowadays. Uh, when I played a lot of guys, it was kind of their signature. Like you, you came up with a design for a mask and even if you change teams, a lot of times you just save that design mm -hmm. and just put the new colors on it. Um, but I, it was cool. It was something I always wanted to do. I wanted to incorporate some things. I was an art major in college. Oh, and okay. so I was able to put some sketches together, send it to my mask designer and say, okay, don't mess with this. This is what I want. It's pretty simple, mm -hmm. but I think it's going to be pretty unique. And I wanted fans to sit in the stands and look down at the ice and be able to see what my mask design was. Some, some of them are so intricate and beautiful that if you're in the stands, you kind of look at them and you're like, I don't know what it's that is. It's hard to see. Right. Yeah. 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 So you mentioned an art major. Are you, do you still draw or paint or what do you do any of that still? Uh, yeah, I always have a sketch pad around and I have for oh, okay. years and, um, you know, a lot of it's, you know, a lot of artists like things just private and, mm -hmm. uh, don't like to show it, but you know, at some point it's always been a goal of mine to like have a gallery showing, like oh. if I can get enough pieces that I think are worthy. Keys gallery. Yeah. To put I like it out that. That's got a good ring to it, right? <laughs> it yeah. So, uh, so somewhere down the line, that would be kind of cool to do. And, uh, it was always pretty ironic that, you know, I was our major, I play hockey, I'm playing for Disney company. And I was like, oh, maybe there's life after hockey with uh, something with Disney, but, um, you know, it's it, it, things turned out the way they are, and mm -hmm. uh, what I'm doing now, I really enjoy, and it's been a great transition uh, over all these years. What other hobbies do you like outside of hockey and outside of your role in broadcasting? Uh, I mean, I love all sports, so I'll sit and watch any sport that's on TV, of course. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I'm a big golfer. I, I love to golf. I get out, you know, uh, a few times a week if if I'm lucky, and then when it's not uh, raining, when it's not raining here, beautiful <laughs> sunny Southern California. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a nice transition. Uh, you know, retiring from the game is, is difficult for mm -hmm. a lot of guys. And even if you leave on your own terms, which I was fortunate to be able to do, you know, all of a sudden, like your 21 brothers are gone, you know, and that's a big void in life where, you know, you have that family that surrounds you that you see usually more than your own family. Uh, so I, I needed something. And my wife was uh, a big proponent of like, you got to go do something. And she goes, I know you like to golf, maybe you should go and join a club. And then that way, you know, maybe your golf club will simulate what you've lost you know, or replace what you lost in, in your own locker room. And it was great. It was actually a great idea. And I was able to transition with that a little bit better. Uh, but I, I do. I love fishing. Mm. I love boating. Uh, a lot of things I like to be able to do here in Southern California, which, uh, of course, there's always something right. to do here. <laughs> in your role with Kent French on the set, I mean, you guys have worked together for a number of years. I'm sure you've known each other even longer than that. But what's it like between the two of you? I mean, it's obvious what everyone sees on the camera. And I personally know how close you are. But can you explain that that friendship? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I met Kent probably 20 odd years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think right after I think I retired, we actually did a couple of things. Uh, the team wanted me to be involved a little bit. And I can remember it, it's it's actually a great story. Do we have enough time? Do we have yes, time? yes. Okay. Go ahead. Share it. So uh, <laughs> it was like the playoffs for the Ducks. And I think they were playing in maybe Dallas or somewhere. And uh, I was asked, hey, can you join Kent to go to a house as a surprise? And you're going to go there on the guise of that. You're going to just come and watch the game with them. And little did the people know they actually had won like a big screen TV. 
And mm. I, I say big screen because that was the era. So it was a big screen TV. And we just showed up, knocked on the door. The people came out. They're like, oh, my God, you guys are here to watch the game. We say, yeah, we're here to watch the game. But we've got a big screen TV to deliver as well. So we were able to do something like that. And, uh, you know, Ken, Ken French is such a professional mm -hmm. and easy to work with. Uh, I mean, he thinks I'm joking when I say he's the best in the business. Mm. But he really is. He makes my job incredibly easy. Uh, and especially when I first started on live TV, Interviews like this for me has always been easy, but to be uh, kind of on the other side of the camera was a little, a uh, little challenging at first, not knowing direction of live television. So Kent was uh, really instrumental in helping me along. Did you ever picture yourself in the this broadcasting role? Well, as you probably have noticed since you've known me now for a little while, I do like to talk. Yes, you so, do. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of times it's more of just getting me to stop talking is the problem. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know if I really thought of it, mm -hmm. uh, but it was just something that, you know, I kept in contact with the, the team over the years when I was just like 100% retired and mm -hmm. just kind of living my life where, you know, hey, I would like to do something someday. And Aaron Teets always said, when you're ready to do something, give me a call. Mm. And one day, I remember our daughter was like a sophomore in high school, and I started thinking, hey, you know what? Like, she's going to be gone in like two years, mm. and we're going to be empty nesters. We just have one child, and maybe it's time to get something going. And so I called Aaron, and he was like, hey, perfect timing. Aww. We're looking for somebody to come and give Brian Hayward a little bit of a break because Hazy for years. And Hazy and I go way back because he was the first goalie coach of the Mighty Ducks for me and Ron Tugnett. And he was doing double duty at the time than being the uh, the play-by-play -play mm -hmm. analyst. So I think Casey was looking to maybe cut a little bit out of his schedule. And it just happened to work out great. I, I kind of stepped in. He got a little bit less because I think he was going from the pregame show and then running to the elevator to get upstairs to do the start of the game. Oof. And then at the end of the game, he had to get down to wherever they were doing the postgame show. And he did that for, you know, uh, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it was just, uh, it was just good timing for, I think for all of us. Mm -hmm. Well, now looking at the team that's on the ice, I want to talk about this record that John Gibson has now tied with you second in the franchise for wins. Uh, how, how do you feel about that? <laughs> you know? Uh, I mean, I think it's awesome. I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things where I feel like I played now so long ago that, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm proud for the fact that like something that has my name on it still exists <laughs> and, uh, and to have wins, especially on the expansion team, when there's so much turnover, especially the first few seasons, you know, I, I was able to survive that mm -hmm. um, and then stay for eight seasons. So, you know, I'm proud of what my teammates and I were able to accomplish during those eight seasons. You know, no goalie can win games on his own. You can steal some or many, but you just really can't do it over the course of the season. So, uh, I just think it's great. I know, uh, you know, J.F. Jaguar is, is number one, I think, at 206. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't know that normally, but because of Gibby getting close, yes. uh, you know, we certainly paid attention. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, John Gibson is a world-class goaltender. I mean, mm -hmm. he is literally one of the best in the league and has been for years. Um, you know, when he gets more support around him, I think people are going to realize, you know, how much better he is than maybe they think. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just hope that I'm at the game working when he actually breaks my record and can move on to uh, staring Jiggy down. <laughs> we got to immediately put you on the air when that happens. But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, live the reaction. Yeah, that's right. I get my cell phone out or whatever. Get on Instagram Live or whatever. <laughs> With the team now about halfway through the season, 
from the player perspective, how how do you approach this next half of the season? Do you look towards the future, you know, take it game by game? What do you think their mindset is like right now? Well, either fortunately, unfortunately, I mean, I've kind of gone down this road in my own career, you know, Mm -hmm. brand new team. And then there's a lot of transition. Then all of a sudden there's rebuilding. You're trying to incorporate younger players. And, you know, do you want to win now or you want to win later with a better developing uh, organization? So, you know, it's been difficult. And and I know it really kind of wears on the guys because as a competitor and, and you know, as well as anybody, it, like you go out to win. You want to perform mm-hmm. at your best and you want to have the result at the end of the game. Um, you know, sometimes you have to be reminded that there are baby steps along the way. And, and the bigger picture is, is developing now. And as you develop, eventually what you want to be is like the Boston Bruins. Mm-hmm. And you'll have core veteran guys who are there to support the younger guys coming up. And so they're not there just yet. And I think this year um, guys are going through some growing pains, but you know, next year they're going to really have uh, big gains because of those, um, those growing pains. The way I look at it is you got basically a half season left. I think um, guys like Mason McTavish taken huge strides so far. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that you just can't take your foot off the gas pedal. You can't get complacent and say, well, we're not expected to win can take a night off here or there and not give it my 100%. I think that's uh, not what Pat Verbeek's looking for. I think he's going to really look at the players and how they perform, really their intensity and, and their drive throughout the course of the season because that usually adversity tells you a lot about a person, and mm-hmm. I think that's what will be the kind of reevaluation over the summertime will be. Guy, one last question for you. Your favorite part of your job now and within the organization? My favorite part is just being back around the game of hockey that I love mm-hmm. and to be around and be able to talk to players uh, who are currently in the middle, middle, beginning or end of their career is just kind of nice. And, you know, I, I kind of walk a, a kind of, I don't know, I tippy toe around it sometimes because mm-hmm. I'm an alumni and a former player, but yet I'm part of the media. And so <laughs> I know what the guy is. Sometimes I don't think they know what to make of me because they're like, well, can I talk about stuff? Because like he played and he's an alumni or am I? Should I be careful because like he's media? Uh, so that's probably the only part I don't like, but otherwise it's just great to be around the game. Mm. Well, we're happy to have you, of course. And I'm glad that I now get to work with you as well here at the Ducks. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. And uh, you're a welcome addition to the Anaheim Ducks for sure. Thank you so much. Guy, thank you for joining us here in the studio. Yeah, thanks. And don't wait so long to invite me back. Okay, <laughs> perfect. I won't. <laughs> And it's time for my final quack for this episode where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. The Ducks will play game nine of their homestand on Wednesday against the Edmonton Oilers. Connor McDavid will be in the building a great offensive test for the Ducks, but we saw what happened last time, the Ducks getting a win in Edmonton. So hoping for that same result on Wednesday. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Make sure to come back again right here for more Hockey Talk on Duck Stream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duck Stream.